Hey, my name is Cindra Kampoff, and I'm a small town Minnesota gal, Minnesota nice as we like to say it, who followed her big dreams. I spent the last four years working as a mental coach for the Minnesota Vikings, working one-on-one -on -one with the players. I wrote a best-selling book about the mindset of the world's best, and I'm a keynote speaker and national leader in the field of sport and performance psychology. And I am obsessed with showing you exactly how to develop the mindset of the world's best so you can accomplish all your goals and dreams. So I'm over here following my big dreams and I'm here to inspire you and practically show you how to do the same. And you know, when I'm not working, you'll find me playing Miss Pac-Man. Yes, the 1980s game, Miss Pac-Man. So take your notepad out, buckle up, and let's go. This is the high performance mindset. Mustafa Sarkar said psychological resilience is your ability to use personal qualities to withstand pressure. Buddha said, every morning we are born again. What we do today is what matters most. Welcome to episode 412. This is your host, Dr. Sindra Kampoff and I'm grateful that you are here today. If you know that mindset is essential to your success, then you are in the right place. Today's episode is with Dr. Stephen Bull. I read his book, The Game Plan, several years ago, and I'm excited to have him on the podcast today. And for those of you who don't know, I'm a keynote speaker, a mental performance and executive coach where I work with people one-on-one. -on -one. So if I can be of help in any way, and if you're thinking about leveling up in 2021 or your desire is there to really be your best this year, please reach out to me. My email is syndra at syndracampoff.com. I'm here to help and the offer is always there. Now in today's episode with Dr. Stephen Bull, we talk about four types of resilience. This comes from his book called The Game Plan. And Steve Bull is a chartered psychologist, speaker, and author, and a high-performance consultant. He has spent the last 30 years where he's coached CEOs, Olympic gold medalists, and professional actors. He was also the Great Britain team quarter psychologist at three Olympic Games, working with the England cricket team for 16 years. He has worked in the corporate world as a performance psychologist since the late 1990s and is the author of eight books, most notably the book that we talk about today, The Game Plan, which presents a practical guide to developing resilience in the workplace. His PhD is in applied psychology. And in this episode, we talk about the four types of resilience that are necessary to develop, how the concepts of mental toughness and resilience are different, why it's important for us to celebrate our success as well as to review our success. We talk about ways to lead with your strengths, how it is essential for the best leaders to seek out challenges and how the best do so, and why it is important to carefully and considerately take risks. I know you're going to enjoy today's episode. If you'd like the full show notes and description, you can head over to syndracampoff.com slash 412 for episode 412. Make sure you share this one with a friend, someone who needs to hear this today. You can copy and paste the link, text a couple of friends who you know could use the message from Steve Bull, or you can head over to social media and tag Steve and I. Wherever you're on social media, send me a message. Let me know if you want me to bring Steve back on to go more in depth on this topic related to resilience. And if you are the first time listening, make sure you hit subscribe. All right, my friends, let's bring on Steve Bull. 
Steve, I'm really excited to have you today on the High Performance Mindset Podcast to talk about your book, The Game Plan. So thank you so much for joining us here today. Thank you, Sindra. It's a pleasure to be here and I uh, appreciate the invitation and the opportunity to speak with you. Absolutely. So to get us started, just tell us a little bit about what you're passionate about, Steve, and what you do now. Uh, well, it probably won't surprise anyone listening to know that my passion is high performance uh, and always has been um, in any walk of life. I mean, I, I spent a, a large chunk of my career working in high performance sport, um, but then migrated into the, into the business world, uh, applying the principles of sports psychology to, to business performers. Um, but yes, the, the passion really is to, to do whatever I can to help people be the best that they can be, to help people tap into their strengths um, you know, to their own passions and, and to make the most of them. Um, I'm not a great believer in the old adage that anyone can be anything they want to be. I, I think we all have a pretty unique set of skills and attributes and strengths. And I've always viewed my role as a coach in, is in helping people figure out where those signature strengths lie and then giving them uh, tools and, and strategies to, to help make the most of them. That has, has always uh, been my passion from, from day one, really. And I think about your career, you know, you've been so successful in sport and then, you know, with business professionals and executives. And I read your book several years ago and absolutely loved it. Thank so you. I really talk about um, just how we all can be high performers and what are the tools and strategies that we need to be able to do that. So maybe to get us started, what do you see the best of the best do differently? That's a, a great question, but not particularly easy to answer because I, I do feel they're all so different. I mean, there are some okay. general uh, commonalities. You know, high performers do tend to have pretty robust levels of, of confidence you know, on the whole, they're, they're pretty good at focusing in the moment and executing their skills uh, under pressure. Um, but, but those are pretty general points. Um, mm -hmm. and, and just to build on the comment earlier, I, I do think it is about finding out what makes them tick. And, and I, I couldn't say that uh, of all the high performers I've worked with over the years, that, you know, they are similar in lots and lots and lots of ways that they're not. I mean, even to the point where I have worked with high performers in the past who, who are quite lazy, you know, and, and they, yeah. they don't, particularly in sport, perhaps less so in, in business, in the workplace. But, you know, people have this sort of natural talent that allows them to get by. Now that, catches them out eventually um, but it's certainly not my experience that all high performers in sport um, have have this incredible sort of work ethic that we might associate with them um, many many do and i think uh, the fact that standards have gone up over the years it's becoming more and more important to have that um, but that's just one example of you think well surely a high performer isn't lazy well, some of them are actually they you know they and that's sometimes what makes them great under pressure because they have this, you know, fairly relaxed approach yeah. um, to life, and, and then they'll deal with whatever's thrown at them in that moment. Um, yes, that's, that's a difficult thing to teach someone. Um, but yeah, it's it's uh, it's it's an interesting phenomenon I've observed. Yeah, uh, really good insights there. I think about my kids, and my, my youngest son is like, 
really has this relaxed approach to whatever, you know, he works hard, but it also really helps him be able to deal with failure and setbacks. You know, he, he takes it, you know, all in stride. Um, and I admire him for that. I don't think that I was like that when I was young. <laughs> but as I said, just to reinforce the point, I think ultimately um, mm -hmm. that, that can catch up with you, particularly these yes. days in level sport where the standard yeah. is so high um, yes. and the difference between the top performers is so small. Mm -hmm. um, perhaps 20, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, when, when I started my career, there were more elite athletes around who were able to just, if dare I say, wing it on the day um, and just yeah. rely on this natural talent that they have. I think that's much less so mm -hmm. now. I think standards are so yeah. high, the pressures mm -hmm. are so great, the scrutiny is so forensic um, that you've got to put the hours in. Um, and, and, and that's why I think also these days, perhaps we see more athletes coming through who might not have that natural talent that they might've done years ago, but they've got their sure. incredible dedication, this incredible focus, determination, and the, the kind of sacrifices and the work ethic. Um, and certainly um, over my career, give me the choice of working with an athlete who's got incredible natural talent, but isn't particularly coachable versus uh, an athlete with perhaps more limited talent, but is very open to being coached and helped. You know, I'll work with that athlete any, any day if, if, I have, if I have the choice. And ditto in the workplace as well. You know, mm. business people I'm sure would relate to this. There are people in the workplace who, in the early part of their career, get by on this just natural ability or natural intellectual sure. of thinking. But eventually you get caught out. Eventually you've got to you've got to learn some other stuff to help you maximize um, those natural talents uh, as you progress. And I think that is a really good way for us to segue into this idea of mental toughness and how it's developed. Right? It's not just something that you're born with. And so, give us a little insight, Steve, on how did you start studying this idea of mental toughness? And then we'll we'll dive into the four types of mental toughness that you talk about in your book, The Game Plan. Sure. Well, I guess the first point I'd make um, is the term mental toughness in, in and of itself was mm -hmm. very much in vogue when I started researching it back in the 1990s. Yes. It's fallen out of favor these days for right. understandable reasons. Um, and the reason is it, that it's fallen out of favor is in part what got me interested in it. But these days, I would generally, like many of my colleagues, use the term resilience rather yes, than yes. mental toughness. So if, if I was publishing that book today, as opposed to 15 years ago when it came out, I would use the term resilience at work as opposed to mental toughness at work. But in the 90s, that term mental toughness, it has a resonance. People, people liked it and it landed both in sport and business. But what got me particularly interested towards the end of the 90s, um, in my work in sport, I was getting increasingly frustrated with the way in which commentators or coaches or anyone involved in sport used the term mental toughness to describe some athletes and not others. Okay. So you frequently hear, oh, that athletes, they're really mentally tough. Oh, that one will never make it because they're not mentally tough. And what frustrated me about that was what they were actually judging that mental toughness on. So when you actually then said to them, well, what do you mean by mental toughness? They couldn't really say. It was just a sort of gut feel that 
this athlete's great under pressure, therefore they're mentally tough, and this one isn't, therefore they're not. So that kind of frustrated me, but got me interested. And then I was equally interested by the assumption that people made that an Olympic gold medalist was by definition a, 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 a pinnacle of mental toughness because they say well, you can't win an Olympic gold medal without being mentally tough. And I worked with quite a few Olympic athletes and, and one or two gold medalists who by their own admission wouldn't call themselves particularly mentally tough. They had a lot of other attributes that, that enabled them to deliver and win that gold medal. But mental toughness wasn't one of them. And then I found that these people were being invited into the business world to talk about mental toughness. And I, I, and I had a conversation with them previously when they said, I don't think I'm actually that mentally tough. I thought, well, that's quite interesting. So putting those things together, I, I got really frustrated with people's use of liberal use of the term mental toughness without actually understanding what it was. So I managed to get a piece of funding um, from the England and Wales Cricket Board, because uh, as you'll know, I, I worked in professional cricket. I promise not to talk about that today because I know it's a bamboozling sport um, for people on your side of the ocean. Um, but, but for those who don't follow cricket, it's our equivalent of professional baseball. Um, but I was doing a lot of work with the, um, with the international England cricket team at the time. So I embarked on this piece of funded research to actually systematically investigate what, it, what this thing mental toughness is. And that involved me interviewing um, loads of coaches, loads of players. You know, I, I compiled, you know, a compendium of qualitative data, which I and my research team then meticulously poured over um, to analyze what was going on. And what came out of that research was the fact that there are different types of mental toughness, or to use the term these days, different types of, of resilience. That really interested me. And what we then showed was that you'd have some athletes, some individuals who were very strong in one of these types, but not so strong in another. What we found was that in order for you to be really successful at the top level, you okay. had to be strong in at least two out of the four. Okay. If you were strong in all four, great. But if you weren't strong in at least two of them, you were going to struggle. Um, but uh, yeah, so, so that was one of the main things that, that, that came out of the research. The other interesting uh, point of note that came out of the research was that we found, and, and this sounds a bit old hat now, but back in the late 90s was, was quite new thinking. And it was a point about the importance of the environment in shaping mental toughness or resilience. And what we showed in our research was that um, you could have the best coaching the best sports psychology support around, you know, you could have everything there to help you. If the environment wasn't right, then those mental skills would break down in the critical performance moment. Um, and that took us off into another area of research where we started to explore what is the best type of environment for younger athletes to grow up and develop in to give them the best chance of, of developing that mental toughness as they got older. And of course, one of the key features that came out of that was that we showed that on the whole, individuals who have this very strong level of mental toughness or resilience, they had invariably experienced some sort of adversity or disappointment or failure previously in their career. 
and they that, and the interviews that we did said that um, that that shaped their mental toughness and their resilience. Of course, that got us into some really interesting thinking about well, how do we sort of ethically, if you like, manufacture adversity and you know disappointment and failure with younger athletes? How do we artificially create that in order to toughen them up? Um, and that, that got us into some really interesting conversations with the coaches, but, but, but that takes us off into another area. Um, so, you know, the importance of the environment is crucial. Understanding individual differences is crucial, but the identification of these four different types of mental toughness, that then helped us to support and coach athletes uh, much more effectively because we were doing it in a targeted way. And it also helped us explain why a lot of observers and coaches would disagree when assessing whether an athlete was mentally tough or not. Sure. One would say, well, I think they are. Another one would say, well, I don't think they are. That's because mm -hmm. they were using different reference points. And the four types, of, the four types helped us sort of, you know, get inside that, if you like. So, Steve, the first question I have on that is tell us in your perspective, um, the shift from the use of the term mental toughness to resilience. And do they now mean the same to you or where, you know, you kind of said that mental toughness fell out of favor. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, uh, it's, a, it's a really interesting question. Um, I mean, I don't use the term mental toughness very often at all these days. I do tend to use, use resilience. Um, the first thing I'd say on that is, is one of the things that mental toughness immediately creates in people's minds is the okay. idea of mm. the, the sort of tough guy image. Yes. You know, the, the marine yes. struggling through the mud and the, mm -hmm. you know, you know, on these assault courses or, you know, dealing with this incredible sort of physical challenge. Um, yeah. You know, kind of thing you associate with West Point. Um, yes. You know, that kind of thing. That When you say that it's a mental toughness, it conjures that image up. And that's yeah. a flawed assumption because all the research tells us very clearly it's not about that. It's not about that tough guy image. It's about a lot of other things. And if anything, it's certainly not, and if we relate this to the workplace, it's not about putting 16-hour days in. No. And that's a problem I've come across a lot in the workplace. Oh, so-and-so puts five or six back-to-back 14-hour -back working days in. They don't take a lunch break. They're first here, they're last to leave. Aren't they yeah. or aren't they mentally tough? Completely mm. flawed in my view. What, you know, the, the, the resilient performers are those that can, can really mm. push themselves hard for a period of time, but then they stop and then they take a break and then they recharge and then they go again. But then they know that they need to stop and then they recharge and they go again. That's resilience and, 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 and yeah. mental terms if we use that term. So I, I, I am mm -hmm. very provocative when I go into workplace environments around the culture of working through your lunch, you know, eating a brown bag lunch over your laptop. I, I get really quite provocative about that. Sure. Um, that's not resilience. Resilience is having the strength to stand up and go for a walk in the park, take a break, you know, do some meditation, deep breathing, if that works for you, or go and play squash or do we have an E2 so you can then come back and go hard again uh, in the afternoon. 
So Excellent. That, that's point number one in terms of why I think mental health favor. The other yeah. point, um, which is very relevant today, of course, is uh, we, we quite rightly, we're, we're really focused on mental health issues these days, both in sport mm -hmm. and the workplace. Yeah. And of course, someone who's struggling with mental health issues, to say to them, come on, just toughen up. Life's hard, you know, just get on with it. Right. We know that just doesn't work. Yeah. That is completely counterproductive. So there's no way, in my view, that the, the term mental toughness sort of sits comfortably with what we understand and appreciate about mental health these days. So I think resilience works much better for us because it, it doesn't have those connotations um so that was a fairly long answer i hope that made sense but yes you know, that, that, that's, that's helpful we've had this shift in terminology over the last 15 years i i agree with that like i see a lot of people just make the assumption that mental toughness is being tough and just toughening it up but i think there are times where that doesn't serve people and you know, the importance of mental health which you just mentioned and so I'm kind of thinking, Steve, when I look at your book, right, turnaround toughness, critical moment toughness, risk management toughness, and endurance toughness. And I was thinking that endurance toughness is exactly what you said, is like uh, resting, uh, pushing yourself when you need to, but also making sure you're caring for yourself. Do you think these are all four types of resilience as well? Um, and I'm wondering, like, what the connection there is between these and resilience? When I run workshops these days, I would use the term resilience for all four of those. Yes, absolutely. Excellent. Okay. Whether, Good. whether that's consistent with dictionary definitions, uh, right. to go check. Um, but I think, you know, to help <laughs> people understand what we're talking about here, these right. days I would say, yeah, there's four types of resilience. They are distinctly right. different. Um, but yeah, let, let's use that term. I, I, okay, I found perfect. That helps people, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. That helps me as I kind of think about uh, where do we continue to go with the conversation, because I thought the four types of resilience that you talk about in your book were really beneficial. And I was thinking about that. It's helpful to know that it's not just one of these things. So let's kind of dive into each of these and think about also what do they mean, but how do we develop this within ourselves? And I, you know, I'm going to point out that you said earlier when we're strong at two of the four, you know, that leads to high performance. So first, let's talk about what turnaround resilience is, and then let's talk about, okay, how do we improve that? Yeah, well, of course, just to preface um, any uh, comments I'm about to make, uh, none of this stuff is going to sound particularly complicated or innovative or overly scientific. I mean, my favorite definition of performance psychology has always been Performance psychology is a set of common sense principles not commonly applied. Yes, I, I love that. At the start of talks uh, or workshops I run, I say to people, look, you're not going to leave the room today saying, wow, that guy, Steve Bull, didn't he have some really interesting, innovative, different ideas? I say, you won't leave saying that. You'll leave saying, you know, a lot of that was common sense because it is. But the problem is people don't do the common sense things. Yes. So, you know, people are not going to be blown away by this material. But the challenge is understanding which of these common sense principles are going to help you in different situations and then having the discipline to, to implement them. So turnaround is basically about turning around um, your state of mind after a poor performance. 
you know, you've had some sort of adversity, um, you know, whether that be in sport, you know, a losing streak or a loss of form or in the business uh, world or the workplace environment, you might have, you know, done a, a presentation that, that really went badly or you've had a, a poor performance review uh, from, your, from your manager or you're just feeling your confidence is, is ebbing away. Um, because that's the essence of it. In, in the turnaround scenario, it is fundamentally about a loss of confidence, which has been triggered by some sort of disappointing external event. And as everyone knows, when people experience that, that negative um, uh, adverse um, event, we tend to by naturally spiral into that negative cycle of thinking. We start to self-doubt. We start to question, am I really that good after all? Well, mm -hmm. it went wrong yesterday, maybe it'll go wrong again tomorrow. Um, imposter syndrome starts to creep in and all those sort of horribly negative um, uh, aspects of self-talk start to come to the front of our mind. So, so the question about turnaround resilience is, you know, how do we block those out? How do we turn things around and get people back onto that sort of confident track? Um, because it just seems to be the case that our brains are wired to spend more time thinking about what goes wrong and what we're not so good at, as opposed to focusing on what goes right and what we are good at. So, so I spent a lot of my career coaching people to just change the way they review performance and to teach them ways of getting much better at reviewing successful performance. And I use this phrase, reconnecting with previous accomplishments. So yes, things have gone badly uh, yesterday or for the last week or for the last month, but you can change that and don't forget all that stuff that's gone before because people tend to do that. So it's a way of, it's, it's, it's a question of helping them reconnect with those previous accomplishments. I've got a particular favorite coaching tool that I use to do that, which is my, I call it my confidence peaks chart Yes, um, look, uh, I have it open to ask you about. There it is. Yeah, there it is. I mean, that's, that's a, a, been a go-to coaching tool for me for, for many, many years now. Um, Love it. And it's just a way of helping people reconnect with those previous accomplishments, capture them, review them, you know, learn from them and, and embed them so that they can then use that process to create that stronger, uh, confident platform going forward. And related to this also, I'll often talk to people in the workplace about what has happened in the last 25 years or so in sport with regard to performance review. And what I'll say is 25 years ago when I was working in sport, if our team um, uh, lost uh, a game at the weekend, uh, we would come to work on Monday morning and the first thing the team would do was be they come into a, a classroom with some flip charts and they would review that loss and they would, you know, learn some lessons, figure out what they need to put right, get, get, get a game plan for, for next week's game. Right, off we go. 25 years ago, if the team won on Saturday, they would typically celebrate in some form on Saturday night, come to work Monday morning and it would generally be straight out onto the practice field to prepare for next week's game. But they wouldn't go through that systematic review process that they would have they failed. Now that's changed, certainly in my experience, so that the, the elite teams I've worked with in more recent years, now 
if we win on Saturday, Monday morning, we review that performance in exactly the same way that we would Great. review a loss. Um, yeah. And that's really important for all sorts of reasons, but it, it does create individual and team resilience as well as learning from mistakes and, and modifying strategy. But when you've done something well, you need to capture that. You need to embed that. You need to make the most of it. And you, you'll do that by systematically reviewing it. So then when I'm in the workplace, in the business world, it's a pet peeve of mine that's all that has been for, for forever, actually, that I don't think business teams spend enough time reviewing success. If they have a bad week or a bad quarter, you know, they miss their, 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 their targets, the numbers are struggling. Yeah, let's have a crisis meeting. We need to get together. What are we going to fix here? How are we going to turn things around and get back on track? But if they have a great week or a great month, I hear a lot of people in the workplace talk about the importance of celebrating success. And I too believe that's crucial. So people have worked hard, go out for dinner, you know, have a bottle of champagne or whatever you do, toast the success, celebrate, great. But celebrating success is not reviewing success. And that's, that's a different process. So yes, celebrate success, but also review it. So have a meeting, not just because there's a crisis and something's going wrong, but have a meeting to review what you've done so well over the last week or over the last month. And how can you uh, maximize your chance of repeating that, if not improving it next time? So all of this relates to the idea of turnaround resilience. And it's essentially for me about creating the habit of reconnecting with and reviewing performance accomplishments if you do that systematically and that is part of your game plan that will develop your turnaround resilience and that will give you that strength and next time something goes wrong you know exactly what you need to do you reconnect you review the, the, the good performances and you are back on track quickly you've turned things around quickly that's Excellent. the turnaround resilience Steve, there's a few things I want to point out that you just said, just for people that celebrating success and reviewing success is different. So, uh, and both are important, but yeah, I think it's really powerful to take a step back. What led to the success? What do we need to replicate? And I did really like the, um, the peak chart in your book about building confidence. And for people who um, definitely should go grab the book, again, it's called The Game Plan with Steve Bull. But what I liked about this is, you know, all these different peaks on this kind of mountain chain provide moments where you've been really successful, right? And the peaks represent, you say, a significant achievement that you've accomplished in the past. Reflecting on those, recording them on one of the mountains. And you encourage us to think, think hard, dive deep. Um, I just put this application in for this award, um, actually at ASP. Um, and it made me step back and think about all the things that I've done. And it, it, I think we tend to forget <laughs> about our achievements, right? Because we're so focused on like the here and now and where we're going next. So tell us about the power of just reflecting on this kind of exercise and, and seeing the accomplishments that you have. How do you think that helps us? Well, I, I think, Sindri, you're absolutely right. Most people, without a little bit of coaching or cajoling, we tend to forget um, the great things that we've achieved in the past. You know, they tend to become a distant memory because we're not constantly mm. reviewing them. <clears throat> and that, the main problem with that 
um, emerges when we, we have uh, an adverse experience, when something goes wrong. If we haven't systematically connect, reconnected with these performances and reviewed from them and learned from them, we can't use them, we can't access them when things start to go wrong. The other thing I think it's fair to say is that perhaps less so in elite sport, but very much so in the workplace, a lot of people I've worked with um, have a sense of, well, isn't it a bit, a bit immodest? Isn't it a bit big-headed? Yes. Sure, arrogant. I don't want to big myself up because I'll come across as arrogant or overconfident. Yeah. And that holds some people back from sitting down and reflecting on the great things uh, that they've done. Um, so I, you know, I really try to push people through that because um, this is not something that you're going to go and show other people. This is for you. This is a process that, that you're going through for you and for your mindset and for your resilience. And when I introduce people to this mountain peaks chart in a workshop, when yeah. I send them off to do it, I tend to do, get them to do it in a pairs coaching sort of format. But when I send them off, my final instruction is modesty is not allowed. <laughs> I love it. Modesty from this. Um, there is no place for modesty uh, in this um, because it holds people back. And the other thing that I'd throw in, and, and you'll have noticed this looking at the example peaks chart mm -hmm. in the book, is that was a peaks chart from a guy, uh, I think it was a long time ago now, but I'm thinking he was an investment banker of some sort. But he was in his 40s. Um, and it was a work-related confidence peaks chart. And yet, when you actually look at the confidence peaks, there yeah. are plenty in there that are nothing to do with work. Yes. And I like that. And I encourage people to say, well, you can get confidence for the workplace from what you've achieved outside the workplace, mm -hmm. whether that be, you know, passing a piano exam or running a marathon or doing some charitable work or, you know, being a great parent uh, to, your, to your young child. Um, th these are things that you can still get confidence from and you then take that confidence uh, into the workplace. And of course, the way the metaphor of the mountain range works is, so you climb this mountain, your performance peak, and you put your personal flag in the top of that mountain. Now, it doesn't matter what happens to you in the future doesn't matter how bad things go, no one can take that achievement away from you. Your flag is in that mountain peak forever. So however bad things well, get, great. you always go back. That, that's why I chose that mountain mm. range uh, as the metaphor, because that achievement, it's there forever. 20 years time, you could still go back to that achievement uh, and use it. But coming back to your original question, People don't do this because their habit is to spend way too much time worrying and reflecting on A, the things that go wrong and B, the things that they're not so good at. Um, yeah. and, 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 you know, that's one of the things that you and I in our profession, we try to help people break that cycle of thinking and get them more familiar with systematically tapping in to the incredible resource that they've got which is all their previous accomplishments. I do agree with what you said. And when I look at this example, I love the, the parts where it says like passing my sixth grade piano exam, right? Mm -hmm. uh, that's, a, that's a peak or 
my daughter's school report. So just this idea that uh, things that happen outside of work can help you build more confidence in work and celebrating that is really powerful. So yeah. Steve, the other type of resilience that I want to talk a little bit about um, that I think would really help people. Um, and by the way, before we move on, I would encourage everyone to do this uh, that Steve is suggesting. Find, you know, even if you grab grab Steve's book, uh, and you could just make your own mountain range and put those the the, the things that you should that really build your confidence, your uh, past accomplishments in in this uh, mountain chain. But let's talk a little bit about risk management toughness or risk management resilience. And this is about seeking out challenges and reframing your appraisal. Tell us what this type of resilience is and why you think it's important to sport or the workplace. Yeah, well, I use the term risk management because in my experience in both elite sport and high performance business, you tend to find that high performers take risks. Mm -hmm. You know, they are comfortable um, getting out of their comfort zone and pushing themselves. Now, I would go further and say that in order to achieve high performance, you have to take some risks. You've got to put yourself on the line. Now, we're not talking here about reckless risk-taking. We're talking about carefully considered, confident risk-taking. There is a big difference. Reckless risk-taking, ah, oh, let's just give it a whirl. What the heck? No. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about having the confidence to actually push yourself beyond what you would naturally do. And, and to reiterate what I said a moment ago, in my view and in my experience, in order to reach those you know, elite levels of performance, you don't get there by staying in your comfort zone. You've got to take some risks. Now, my theory has always been if you are asking people to get out that comfort zone and take some risks, they are going to be much more likely to do that from a position of confidence, with a platform of confidence. That makes sense, doesn't it? If someone's going to take a risk from a position yes. of confidence, they're going to feel better than taking a risk in a position of, of worry. So there's a couple of things that come in here. Firstly, all that stuff we just talked about with regard to turnaround toughness and reviewing uh, previous accomplishments and, and reconnecting, that builds confidence. But now what I add in, in relation to risk management, is the whole area of um, strengths, strengths coaching, yes. um, which you know has been around for, for a long time now, since Donald Clifton and Marcus Buckingham published their first book, uh, I think it was around 2000, wasn't it? Um, but that was a groundbreaking book where they really challenged our thinking around how much time we spend helping people fix weaknesses versus, you know, maximize strengths. Now, I'm a, I'm a big fan of this work and have used it a lot. We're not, of course, saying ignore your weaknesses. You can't, you can't ignore your weaknesses. You have to work on your weaknesses to get them up to a level where they will not derail your performance. But once you've got them to that level, the chances are that you're never going to really turn them into a, a real super strength. So get them to that manageable level, but then invest your time and energy in maximizing your strengths. Now, this is very relevant to risk management resilience, as I said. Problems we encounter here is that most people, in my experience, aren't that great at knowing what their signature strengths are. 
and they're certainly not very good at deploying strategies to maximize those signature strengths. So what we need to do firstly is help people raise their awareness, you know, of what does make you different? You know, where are your real natural strengths or even your super strengths, as we like to say these days? How clear are you in what your super signature strengths are? People need help with that. And there are various ways you can do that. Um, and then, okay, now having established what those strengths are, let's explore ways in which you can exploit those strengths. If we're having all of this conversation within that sort of context of strengths, people are going to feel confident. You know, that when you start to talk to people about their strengths, you can feel the confidence rising. Yes. So with that rising confidence, now we've established a strong platform to get out of that comfort zone, to take those risks. Yeah. That's what risk management resilience uh, is about helping people create that strong platform where they've got the confidence to say, I'm going to push out the boundaries today. I'm going to get out of that comfort zone. I'm going to take a risk, but I'm going to take that risk from a position of strength rather than a position of worry. I really appreciate that, Steve. And I want to point out what you said carefully and, you know, being considerate about the risk taking coming from a place of strengths helps you have confidence. I um, take that. I've taken the strength finder assessment as well myself and do a right. lot of work on that because I do think it helps people, um, the people that I coach really understand what they're great at. And, uh, and you're right. Sometimes people don't even know that they don't see that within themselves, whereas other people might see their strengths. But, you know, sometimes we're just kind of doing our work day to day and don't take a step back and think mm -hmm. about what are we really good at and what are we gifted at. And if I remember correctly, the way they define a strength is like a talent that we have, um, that we spend time developing. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and as we both said, you know, my experience is that a lot of people need help with this, you know, they need help yes. identifying uh, those strengths. And I would normally give people um, at least three different ways uh, in, in which they can um, explore these these strengths. Of course, firstly, you can do one of the strengths finder questionnaires. Um, yes. that, that, that's helpful. Um, secondly, ask for feedback. I mean, that, that's a challenge mm -hmm. I often give people in the workplace. You know, how, I say, how often do you go and talk to your peers and say, could you please give me some feedback on where you think my signature strengths are? Um, people generally tend not to do that. And you might get some really interesting and illuminating answers. But then thirdly, and again, to link back to turnaround and the confidence peaks chart, I think you can explore your signature strengths by reconnecting with previous accomplishments. If you look at mm. that mountain peaks chart and start to think about all those accomplishments, then maybe some of your strengths are, are gonna become a bit more obvious because you'll see patterns. Oh, it seems like when I deliver real high performance success that I'm using X or Y. So doing a questionnaire or an assessment of some sort, getting feedback, reviewing previous uh, accomplishments. I, I, they're my go-to ways of helping people um, establish clarity around what their signature strengths are. And of course, this is an area that people really enjoy working in. 
you know, the minute you start to talk to someone and say, let's talk about what you're good at. Again, yes. once you've got over the modesty hurdle, once you can bash through that, people are comfortable talking about that. And, and you know, they enjoy it and it makes them feel good. And they go away from a coaching session buzzed because they've been talking about what they can achieve rather than this old fashioned performance review of, of focusing 90% on what we're not doing well and what we need to improve. So the three parts that Steve just mentioned was um, take a strength finder assessment to learn about your strengths, ask for feedback. You talk in the book about being hungry for feedback, yeah. which, um, you know, uh, I don't see a lot of people being hungry for feedback and then exploring your strengths by connecting with your previous accomplishments. Steve, how about we have you back uh, to talk about the other two types of resilience, which we haven't got to yet. Um, and the other two types that you talk about in the book is critical resilience and endurance resilience. How does that sound? That sounds great. I mean, they're different again. Both of those are very different from the previous two. So uh, plenty more to discuss, uh, Cinder, I'm sure. Absolutely. So tell us, Steve, um, where can people reach out to you? I know you're available for speaking events, uh, but also, you know, grab his book, The Game Plan, Your Guide to Mental Toughness at Work. And, and you have um, other books. So tell us a bit about what you have uh, for us to learn more about your work. Uh, yeah, well, the, the website uh, is uh, gameplancoach.com. So that's pretty easy to find and everything's referenced in there. Um, I mean, the, the, the game plan book um, is, is a book for people in the workplace. I mean, there are plenty of sporting anecdotes and stories in there, but it is essentially uh, a book for people in the workplace. Um, my, my other books have tended to focus uh, very much on athletes and the, the sports psychology and, and performance in the, in the sporting uh, arena. Um, but essentially everything I've ever researched or, or ever written about has always been focused on how we can help individuals and teams aspire to that high performance mindset to give them the best chance of making the best of what they've got at their disposal. Excellent, Steve. And so I'm going to summarize uh, what we talked about today. So we started talking about uh, the differences that you see in the best of the best. And you said there are some individual differences, but you see confidence, um, focusing on the moment, executing under pressure um, as some similarities. But again, you know, there's a lot of individual differences. I loved how you defined performance psychology as like common sense principles um, that are not commonly practiced or applied. <laughs> I thought that was brilliant and, uh, and so true because it's easy for us to sure know this, but, but do we do these things that you talked about today? Um, I, I really enjoyed our discussion about reviewing successes and how they're different than um, celebrating our successes and that a lot of people in the workplace don't take a step back after they've been successful to like review that and think about that and just how our brain is wired to you know, focus on things that, that have gone wrong. And then we talked about risk management resilience and uh, the importance of carefully um, and, and being considerate with the risk taking, uh, but how that's really essential to grow. And you described the importance of like taking a strength-based focus um, and, and using our strengths to uh, be, be, be able to take risks a little bit more often. And so you shared with us just different ways we could do that. 
So Steve, thank you so much for joining us. I'm grateful to spend some time with you and thanks for bringing it on the podcast and, and sharing such a kind of valuable information in a really practical way that people could implement. Thank you, Sindra. It's been a real pleasure. I've uh, enjoyed the conversation immensely. Thank you. Way to go for finishing another episode of the High Performance Mindset. I'm giving you a virtual fist pump. Holy cow, did that go by way too fast for anyone else? If you want more, remember to subscribe and you can head over to Dr. Sindra for show notes and to join my exclusive community for high performers where you get access to videos about mindset each week. So again, you can head over to Dr. Sindra. That's D-R-C-I-N-D-R-A dot com. See you next week.